conflicted by grace. We're conflicted. How does grace line up to the law? How, how about good works? We, we really talked about that last week. And we looked at the parable, a uh, couple of different parables last week. Now we look at a third one today. Now I've spent most of my adult life really trying to share Jesus Christ with people, not only in the pulpit, but also outside the pulpit. I've been telling them about how Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, how if we receive him by a free gift, a free gift, an act of God, we receive Christ into our heart, the resurrected Christ, he will make all the difference in our life. He'll forgive our sins. He'll give us the opportunity, the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, self-control. All these things I've shared with them. I've tried my best to be persuasive, and yet so many people say no to that invitation. In fact, at the end of this service today, I'm probably going to give an invitation of some type, whether it's come forward or a card, something, in order to have you, have you an opportunity, give you an opportunity to receive Christ into your heart. Now, the question comes up in my mind, why should someone ever say no? Why should they turn that down? We, we need to answer the question of why. And this parable really gives us a lot of insights to that. In fact, every parable has one message. And then there's some sub points and all that and symbols and all the parables and this, all the stories. But really, it's trying to get across one point. And the one point is this, that God's grace is offered to everyone, but in order for it to apply to our life, we have to receive it. God's grace is offered to everyone, but in order to apply it to our life, we have to receive it. Now, we've already said in this series that grace is really the foundation to all the other graces of life. God's grace is God's undeserved favor toward us, something we don't deserve at all that God just gives us to us. So it's really God's generosity. And so everybody wants God's generosity. We're not just talking about money. We're talking about everything. Everything that God gives is his generosity. We want that. The foundation to that is coming to know Christ as your Savior, because we're adopted into God's family, and as an adopted son or daughter into God's family, we then have the rest of the inheritance. And so we want to look at this morning, as we look at this parable, we understand that Jesus is in the last week of his life. At the end of this week, he's going to go to the cross and die there on the cross for our sins. And so he's giving different parables, and the last one, he really, the parable of the tenants, he was saying, look, you you've Jewish leaders, Pharisees, you're the one that's killed all the prophets. Now you're about to kill the son of God. And they were plotting to kill him. And he says, you've just rejected and rejected and rejected the grace of God. Now we're going to be looking at a group of people who have also rejected him based upon, largely based upon the leadership of that group. And so as we look at this, we want to see the call, the call, who has God called with his grace? We want to look then at the possible responses that we can see in this parable. And then the determination of grace, very important. And finally, the entrance into it. So let's look at the scriptures this morning in chapter 22, where it says, and Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who had a, gave a great feast, a wedding feast for his son. And when his son, servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And so you get the picture. It's a story. It's a parable, a fictitious story of a king that says, I'm going to give a great feast. 
Why? Well, my son's getting married. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to send out, has anybody ever here been to a wedding? Been to a wedding? Have you ever got one of those things, save the date? Okay, sure. Well, they kind of did that back in this day. What they would do is say, hey, I'm going to have a great feast. And so get ready, buy your wedding garment, buy what you need to buy, get prepared. Don't know the date yet, but I'm going to tell you. And so now the dates come up. And it's pretty much known when that is going to be by now, probably because word kind of gets around. The date comes up, and everyone who is RSVP and said, yeah, I'll come, now backs out. And they would not come. Not that they couldn't come, but here we find that they just wouldn't come. And so as we look at this, we find the king is God. The wedding feast is the feast in heaven. Very important for us to realize that in this passage. We'll come back to that in just a moment. And the slaves uh, that are going to be involved here are the ones who were rejected and killed in just a few moments. We'll see that. And so here we find the invitation. The one came in advance and then later. Well, we need to understand when we talk about the call of God, how important it is to our life. There are three distinctive kind of salvation type of calls in the Bible. One is a particular national call to salvation that you will find in the Old Testament. And it's talked about by Paul in the New Testament in Romans chapter one, where he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Jew first, also to the Greek. A national call, a Jewish call to salvation under, first of all, Abraham and his, his, uh, his heritage and all the offspring and grandchildren, great-grandchildren that were born to him. So there's a national call here to the Jew first. Remember what Matthew's all about. Part of the distinction of the book of Matthew versus Mark, Luke, and John is that Matthew was getting us from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That 400-year period between Malachi and Matthew when there was no uh, voice of God, there was no prophets. He's saying, look, I- I'm going to take the Jewish people who were relying on their maybe the good works or just being born of Abraham. I'm going to take them and show them that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is the way. That, it's a Jewish audience here, primarily. And so there's a national call. Then, because of the rejection, there's a universal call. We find that all the Jews and Gentiles together. At the end of this passage, in verse 14, it says, for many are called, the many meaning really is all. The all are called, but few are chosen. So everybody now is a universal call. Within that universal call, there is a personal call to salvation. Somebody says, well, I, I just get saved any time, right? I just, just invite Jesus to come into my heart any time. No, you really can't. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. We see this in a parable. We see a wedding feast. When is the wedding feast? Well, I don't know. We'll just say Friday night. Friday night comes. And uh, maybe Wednesday comes along, Tuesday or Wednesday. And you think to yourself, I really can't go. You know, I'm going to a football game that night. And so I can't go to the king's banquet, honor his son, honor the king. What I'm going to do is just tell them I'm sick that night. And so you call in sick. But you say, look, you know, it's not that I'm rejecting you. In fact, I'll come to the banquet sometime next week. Oh, no, you can't come next week. We're not going to have a banquet next week. The invitation is for Friday night. So you need to come for Friday. Oh, no, 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 really. It'll be okay. So you drop by. Well, you can't make it Monday either. So you drop by on Tuesday. They open up the door after you ring the doorbell, and they're, they're in their gym clothes. 
They haven't been working out probably, but they're in their gym clothes. And, and there's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in the fridge or something, warmed over, even at that. There's nothing here to eat. Oh, well, this is, this is my terms. I'm coming on my terms. No, you come on the king's terms. He's invited you to a certain time. The Bible says this. In John, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. How does this happen? Well, the, it's really a, a mystical, very spiritual type of experience. Jesus said, I'm going up into heaven. And so in Acts, we find that Jesus ascended up into heaven. But he said, it's important that I go because I'm sending my Holy Spirit, my spirit, to dwell within you. And then in Acts chapter 2 in the Bible, we, we read about the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came down to indwell the believer. Now, what happens at salvation? The Bible says the Holy Spirit is sent here, third person of the Trinity, to, to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So what is happening here is that we are drawn by the Father through the Holy Spirit. We feel an oughtness in our heart. You know, why do you feel that? Why, why do you maybe go, have gone to church before and you feel like, wow, you know, I just, I kind of almost feel bad. I ought to feel good, but I, I feel like there's an oughtness there. There's, there's some change I need to make. There's something I need to do. God's calling you. In fact, he's been calling you since you were a child. The time you went to vacation Bible school, Jesus was calling you. The Holy Spirit was calling you. We find that you went, to, you went to small groups, Sunday school, we used to call it. Well, you went there, and every week the teacher taught you Bible lessons. And every time you felt like, wow, you know, Jesus is there. I ought to do something about Jesus. You, come to, you came to the worship services, and every time you came, a heaviness on your heart. Wow, I see all these people deciding for Jesus, and I, I just need to do that. I need to do that myself. We feel the calling of God in our life. Well, then how do we respond to that? The Bible says many are called, few are chosen. Many people are called, only a few people choose Christ, therefore become the chosen, and therefore uh, have a relationship with God. What are the responses? Let's look in verse 3 once again. He said that they would not come. Again, they could, they could come, they just would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. Now, can you imagine this? My oxen, my fat calves. Remember the story of the prodigal son where they killed the fatted calf because the son had come home. Great celebration here. And they've been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. An invitation. He gives them again. They've turned him down. Oh, no, no, no. I want you to come. This is going to be more than you can ever imagine. And they choose not to come because what happens? But they paid no attention. Almost worse than saying no, they ignored it and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. We find here people in these three responses, indifference, hostility, and showing up. That's the good response. Here we find people who are too busy to go to the party. They're too busy with their farm. They're too busy with their business. They've got things going on. Remember, these are the, probably the more wealthy people, in this, at least in this parable kind of the more privileged, you might say. They've got a lot of things going on. Got a lot of things on my plate. Man, the kids got to do this. They've got ball. They've got, they, they've got dance. They've got singing. They, you know, my, my, my wife's got these things on the plate. She, she has this career or whatever. And then I'm, I'm doing that. I just can't go to the party. I'm sorry. I just can't go. So they just kind of ignore it. 
I'll get to it next week and I'll look at the invitations. Oh, I forgot about that party. But then we see hostility. Um, in verse 6, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. Now, please keep in mind, Jesus is, who's G- Jesus is talking to? He's talking about, talking to the Jewish leaders and now the greater population of the Jewish faith and the Jewish people, and said, look, the prophets came along, you killed them. Remember the story from last week, the parable of the tenants. You killed them. And now you're going to kill his only son as well. And here we find hostility. Why would anyone have hostility to the gospel? Now think about it for just a moment. What are you doing? You sit there and you share with somebody probably you know, maybe not, but probably you know them, you're sitting there maybe on a plane, somebody you don't know, and you're beginning to share the gospel, how Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, and the fact that God gives them grace, and you go on through the gospel, and, and, and they get upset. They maybe put their earphones on, their hoodie on, and just turned away, turn away. Why would anybody respond to that way? Why? Now, I've only had that a few times in my life, but I have had it a few times. Now, if I were to open up and say, hey, look, you know, I got this Tom Clancy novel. Never read a Tom Clancy novel. So that may be inappropriate for the pulpit. Please don't send me cards and letters. Send them to my wife or something, but don't send them to me. And so you, you say, look at this passage in the Tom Clancy novel. Nobody's going, oh, yeah, that, that's fine. Or Harry Potter or Chronicles of Narnia. Or for that matter, Huck Finn. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Mark Twain. Man, when I read that, I felt so convicted to come to Mark Twain. I got so mad because Mark Twain was interfering with my life. No, you never hear that kind of stuff. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not drawing them behind that word. And so you see the hostility here that is even going on. And now we see a punishment. And we need to look at this because it's not, it's a prophecy. It's a prophecy that's coming up. But it also points to the fact that God does have accountability built in. He says, the king was angry, verse seven. He sent his troops to destroy those murderers and burn their city. He's talking about AD 70, years later, some 35, 40 years later, that the, uh, the city of Jerusalem would burn, a prophecy. And so now we look and we understand that they were offered, they were offered but they didn't receive. Verse eight says, but he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. What what made them worthy? It had nothing to do with their works. There's no parable that we've looked at the last few weeks, or in fact, no no place in the Bible where it says works are gonna save you. So how do you make it? You're worthy by receiving Jesus Christ, by his blood cleansing you of all your sin. You're, You're made worthy in that way. He said they're not worthy because they refused the invitation. They could come, but they would not come. So why do people not come? Well, I look in this passage and I say, well, maybe because they don't see the need to. They just don't see the great need. I mean, after all, they're, they're, they, they do pretty good by themselves. They do all right. They just don't see the need. Or maybe they look at our lives and say, well, I don't see that much difference between their life and my life. They just don't see the need to come. The people in the passage those who were indifferent just didn't see the need. I remember um, vividly sitting in a church, Bogart Baptist Church, in, right outside of Athens, Georgia, 
when I was a, a, a young lad <laughs> a couple of years ago. And uh, I'm sitting there, and I, I'm in vacation Bible school, kind of the Friday afternoon commencement. I think we have ours on Thursday when Brother Barry stands up and gives the plan of salvation to all the kids, and they make decisions for the Lord. Well, we did it on Friday, and the pastor was up there. One of the pastors has given the invitation, and uh, all these people went forward. And my best friend went forward. Then my sister, my older sister, went forward. And I'm just sitting there. Why didn't you go forward? Well, I can tell you why. I wasn't listening. I had no idea what they were talking about. That's the truth. All these people standing up there, I felt like I missed out on something, you know? And so Friday night came, and I'm asking questions, or rather Sunday night, uh, during our vacation Bible school commencement for all the adults, you know, where they put on the program, and, and then we have um, all the adults there. And I'm sitting there with my dad, who never came to church, my mom, who very seldom came as well. And um, on the other side, my brother, my sister, was there on the same row. And the invitation was given for all the adults that want to receive Christ to come forward. Well, he said, now, to get started, all you kids, if you receive Christ this week, why don't you come forward and, 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 and prepare the way? So my sister got up. She came forward. My mother got up, rededicated her life, and all these people standing up in the front. And I turned to my dad. Never had a spiritual conversation at that point in my life with my dad. And I turned to him and I said, Dad, do you believe this? And he didn't know how to answer that, but I remember him not even looking at me, just kind of looking down as we were standing up there. And he said, uh, yeah, I believe it, but just not that strongly. Well, that was a good way to get off the hook, I guess. But what he's saying was, look, I... I do believe in, in concept, just don't think I need it. And he didn't. He tried to live his life in such a way that he would merit some favor with God. But the one thing he didn't want to do, and let's face it, this is the only thing that it costs you for salvation, and that is worship. Worship a new Lord. He wanted to be the boss of his own life, even though it wasn't that bad. He just wanted to call the shots in his own life. He was not going to surrender at that time at least to the Lord. I need for it. But then I, I think also there's an impact of it. We think, okay, what happens if I get saved? I'll go to heaven. Well, so what? I mean, go to heaven. I mean, what, what, how good can that be? I mean, you, you have the concept of heaven is playing on a harp, right? And you think, I don't even like the harp, you know? Now, you said that. I didn't say that. I like the harp just fine. But Playing on a harp. Well, it's a time of worship. We're just going to be worshiping. Some of you don't like to worship now. Sometimes, not this crowd, but that 930 crowd comes in late, you know. <laughs> and you think, hey, you know, I don't even have to go to worship. I can, watch, I can watch the sermon online or on TV or something. We're not that much into it sometimes. Well, it's just going to be with Jesus forever. We, we don't have a concept of that. But listen to what the Bible says. And I'm just going to read one of these two verses to you. In fact, I'll read both of them. Okay? It's written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor entered the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Romans 8 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present world, this present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We just can't imagine it. The people who said, no, I'm not going to that banquet. I've been to banquets before. It's not that big a deal. No, this was a big deal. This was the king's son. It was going to be the party of a lifetime. And that's the way heaven is pictured. A celebration. 
A celebration at, at, we, we just cannot imagine, a life that we cannot imagine. But yet so many people will not come to Christ because they don't see the, the big deal or they don't see the urgency. I think that's the third thing in this passage. They were thinking to themselves, well, you know, paid, they, they just paid no attention. It doesn't mean they just were determined not to come. But one day, when the king gives another party, I'll go to the next one. I'm just, just going to put it off. And we think procrastination sometimes can be the way for us to go. And yet, you can't get saved just any time. The party's going to be over. God will not always call. Genesis 6 says, the Lord said, my spirit shall not always abide with man or abide with man forever. This Holy Spirit of God is not going to always tug at your heart. It's not going to be one of those things when you come to church and say, wow, you know, I know I need to do something. Not today, not today. It's not going to always be that way. I, I shared with you a message um, weeks ago about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The only sin, people say, what's the unpardonable sin? Is it murder? Is it this? Is it that? No. The only thing that God will not forgive is a refusal of the grace of God. The Holy Spirit of God tugs on your heart. You think, oh, I, I really feel, I don't even know what I'm feeling, but I'm feeling something here that I need to do. The next time it's stronger. The next time it, it, it's even stronger. And you think, like me, when I was 16 years old, God, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. It's so strong. But then when you don't do it, it becomes weaker and weaker and weaker. Pretty soon it's like, I got other things to do on church on Sunday morning. In fact, now I can go to church and not feel a thing. I just, it's okay. I'm perfectly comfortable going when my, when my kids or my wife twist my arm or something, I'll just go. But it doesn't mean anything. Because the Holy Spirit of God probably is no longer drawing you to repentance. So it's not that you can do it anytime. You can do it anytime you want, but you're not going to want unless the Holy Spirit is drawing you. So look at the determination of the, of the grace of God. Look at his determination. What a testimony here. He says in verse 9, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And so those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So we have a, a really a national picture here of the nation of Israel, primarily, most of them not coming to the Lord. So God's now inviting everybody, including the nation of Israel, to come in one big church, one big hall, one big meeting hall, one big party, one big celebration. He says, all are invited, the many, the all are invited. Now it's not just the dignitaries around the city. He goes out to the crossroads. That's literally what that means. He goes out at the place where people are just intersecting and inviting everyone, anyone that would come, to come to the banquet, to come to this great wedding feast. Here at Cross Life, we, that's what we do. That's, that's much of what we're about. That's the reason we advertise sometimes. That's the reason why we want, we want to encourage you to take Jesus everywhere you go, why we have a Wednesday night class right now on how to share Christ with other people, how to have a gospel conversation. That's why we're on TV. That's why uh, we're on the internet. That's, that's why we do a lot of the things that we do, because we want those who have never heard the gospel to be able to hear it. We've got a, our, our uh, missions conference coming up here in just a couple of weeks. We just started a church in Haiti where there was no church. We have a church plant in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, in the inner city. We have 
uh, East Campus. Why do we do all these things? We do them because we want to share the same burdens that, that God has to invite people to come to know Jesus. There's a determination here of grace, a determination that God will work out something great and marvelous in their life. Our vision statement is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we live, work, play, or go so the sun will not set on the ministry of Cross Life Church. We want you to be a part of that. We want you to learn to, how to, to share your faith and how to live the Christian life. But the hall was filled, and God says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come and reach repentance. Even the gospel in the end times, Matthew 24, we're going to be talking about that in just a few weeks. It says in verse 14, Matthew says, this gospel of the kingdom, Jesus said, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Then will the end come. All are invited. You're invited. It doesn't matter. Well, I'm, I'm just kind of a bad person. Note, notice what it says here. This is very interesting. Where he says both bad and good. Good in whose eyes? Their own eyes. The, the, the community's eyes. There's people right now in this church or in this city. And you know them and you know they don't follow Christ. But they're in your eyes and in my eyes probably too. They're good people. And there's bad people. People that do wrong things things that are socially just totally unacceptable. You know, we talk, talked about a few weeks ago how grace extends all the way up until time of the grave. And we talked about Mickey Mantle, one of my baseball heroes, getting saved, as it were, in the ninth inning, as he described it. Last time of life. Ty Cobb, same thing. One of the greatest baseball players that ever lived as well, got saved on his deathbed. And you think, ah, oh, you know, that's, that's how it's going to be. That's not fair. We, but you think, okay, Ty Cobb, Mickey Mantle, you know, baseball hero, I can, I can accept that. What about a Jeffrey Dahmer? 1978 to 1991, Jeffrey Dahmer killed 17 people, mutilated them, cut their bodies, parts uh, around, and buried them in various places. He was convicted of his murders, and gave his life to Christ in prison. So I can't accept that one. Oh no, grace extends to everybody, both the bad and the good. All we have to do is, but we have to receive, we have to receive that grace. So how do you enter the entrance to all this? Verse 14, when Link King came back to look at the guest, he saw there was a man with no wedding garment. Well, so what, big deal. I mean, they, they didn't have time to come up with wedding garments. Besides, he invited the poor. The poor have no money, didn't have any, any money to buy a wedding garment. But here's the thing. Nobody had a chance to buy anything. And so in this parable, the king is the one who's providing the garments. Because there's no way anyone could come up at the last minute with that many people in the city to buy a wedding garment. So what, what's the big deal about a wedding garment? Well, because of what the Bible teaches us about that garment. In Isaiah 61, it says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, says Isaiah the prophet. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest in a beautiful headdress as the bride adorns herself with her jewels. 
Then in Ephesians 4, it talks about putting off the old man, putting on the new man. It gives us symbolism here for us to understand things a little bit better, hopefully, and that is salvation like a garment that you have to intentionally put on. It's bought for you. It says here it is. You put on the garment. Of, it says of righteousness, the robe of righteousness. You, you put on the new man. It's symbolism talking about it here. But in this parable, there's a symbolism that goes all the way through. A thread grows all the way through the Bible, and that is there's a wedding feast going to be in heaven. you got to have the garment to get in. What's the garment? It's Jesus Christ. You put on Christ. He is the garment of our salvation. But this man wanted another way. Notice what it says in verse 12. And he said to him, friend, how did you get here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now, we think we have our own way to heaven. I mean, we do. People say, well, you know, I'm, I'm mad because there's only one way to heaven. Surely that, that is narrow. Uh, but it's not that we're worried about the one way. We're, you know, there could be a thousand ways to heaven. And our objection is, yeah, but I want one more way, my way. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell God, God, here's the reason I didn't receive Jesus, because I was this, this, and this, and this. But notice the insight here that Jesus gives us, the man who had all the excuses for not putting on the wedding garment, who had his own way to get into the wedding, was speechless. Had not a word to say because he knew. He was caught and he knew as he looked around the room, this was just not right. This man refused the only garment that is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And you say, well, that, that's so narrow. That's the same Jesus that's talked about God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the same Jesus that says, I, I've loved you with an everlasting love. That's the same Jesus that says he's one with God. He is God in the flesh. That's the same Jesus that talks about the grace that he's offering you even today. The same Jesus said, look, I am the door. I'm the entrance. I am the way, the road to heaven. No one comes to the Father but by me. And when you think about it, if there had been any other way to heaven, any other way, any other way at all, do you think God the Father would have sent his only son down to die on the cross for us just to show us that he loved us? Do you think he would do that, go to that great lengths, that much pain, if there was another way to go? He says, I am the way. And this man was speechless. I want you to notice finally that a decision to be made. God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Look in verse 13. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, we, we gnash our teeth almost at reading that. And we think to ourselves, hey, don't read that. Skip that verse. I would be less than your friend if I didn't tell you the whole story. And the Bible does talk about a place called hell, the same Jesus that talked about love and the heaven. He talked about the alternative. See, sometimes we think to ourselves and the world thinks, okay, there's heaven or nothing. I mean, I can go to heaven and heaven's, I don't know, playing a harp, singing in a choir. I don't know. It just doesn't appeal to me all that much. If I go there, that's great. If I don't, that's okay. I mean, the alternative is just, I guess, nothing. No, the alternative is something else. It's a place called hell. And the Bible says, oh, the Bible talks about it, describes it, very gruesome place. 
But I know there's people out there that don't like to say, they, they say, well, in fact, I know some good philosophers, Christian philosophers that would say, it's really an eternal separation from God. That's, that's what it is. Okay? Well, that's not all the Bible says. It does say that, but let's just take that. We'll just say that's all there is, just for a moment, argument's sake. I was thinking about this past week about that, and it suddenly dawned on me that no one has ever lived in a world without God. That's what we're talking about, you know? Separation from God is a world without God. He said, no, look, you don't, you don't live in my life. You didn't live in my home life growing up. You've never lived in a world without God. But what about the terrorism? What about, what about communism? Man, it's entrapped and enslaved millions. Don't you think they're going through a hell? No one has ever lived in a world without God. Oh, you just don't know my life. You just don't know the, the hell I've been through. In my... No one, no matter how bad things seem to be, no one has ever lived in a world without God and the horrors that must be. So there is an alternative. There's an accountability here. There's a choice to be made between two eternities. Plus, it's a choice to be made between the life living with God, worshiping him, and having the grace of God in your life versus not the grace, not the generosity of God in your life. And so what do we give up? Just one thing, lordship of our life, really. It's the ability to call, you know, now we've got to go to the Bible to get direction. Now we've got to go to the Bible to get wisdom. We've got to pray for wisdom, follow God. Yeah. See, that's, if, if that were not there, there wouldn't be a choice to be made. Everybody would choose Jesus. Yeah, I'll choose Jesus and live any way I want. Everybody would do that. But the whole idea is that God's design for us originally was to worship him in the garden. That was it, to have fellowship with him, to relationship with him as Lord of our life. And Adam and Eve blew that out of the water. And God's design is to get us back to that place. And that comes through trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, of answering yes, yes, to that invitation call. Many are called, few are chosen. John MacArthur balances this out as I close, and he says this, that phrase reflects the scriptural balance between God's sovereignty and man's will. The invitations of the wedding feast went out to many representative of everyone to whom the gospel is sent, but few of those who heard the call were willing to accept it and thereby be among the chosen. The gospel invitation is sent to everyone because it is not the Father's will that a single person be excluded from his kingdom and perish in the outer darkness of hell. But not everyone wants God. Many who claim to want him do, want, do not want him on his terms. Those who are saved enter God's kingdom because of their willing acceptance of his sovereign, gracious provision. And those who are lost are excluded from the kingdom because they are, un, they are willing of their willing rejection of that same sovereign grace. You see, God gives us this great choice. And all of us receive God's grace. But it's up to us on whether we're going to say yes to it. And I invite you today. I invite you one more time.
of all the times in 26 years I have invited you, I invite you today to come to Jesus, to come to the wedding feast, to come to know him. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's the prayer of your heart, I'm going to pray a prayer with you. And I pray that you'll pray it sincerely, not, not flippantly at all, not casually at all. But it'll come from the bottom of your heart. And the prayer goes like this. Lord God, thank you for your call. Thank you that the way I feel right now is not good. Because there's an oughtness in my heart. I know I should be receiving you. And I want to do that right now. I want to honor you and come to the banquet. I want to receive Jesus into my heart. And so I do just that. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Help me to be the person that would honor you. Help me to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.